0: I, I'm really curious how the pandemic impacts crap chocolate in general. I know that, I know we're not going through the questions you wanted to ask at all, but um, it, I, I'm, I'm just, well, I'm curious because like we, we ourselves have heard from a lot of people who, you know, um, have to spend time at home. And so, you know, something they've always wanted to do is make some chocolate. And so they're starting to sort of do that and grow that. Yeah. Um, people have lost their jobs in the United States. Uh, a lot of people have lost their jobs. When you lose your jobs, a lot of uh, your job, a lot of times what you'll do is you'll, you know, sort of, again, t- uh, work on something that you've been interested in working on but haven't had the time. Um, and so, like, I wonder if there's actually going to be sort of a, um, a new wave, you know, the, 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 the pandemic wave of craft chocolate makers who for one reason or another, people sort of are getting started during this, uh, during this time frame. We personally at Denline have gotten tons of inquiries, people asking questions, people like wanting to know where to buy beans, you know, like uh, a lot of people have come to us um, in the past four or five months, uh, specifically around the making side. I mean, clearly yeah. around the eating side too, but like, but specifically around the making side, which I think has been really interesting
1: that's really interesting yeah I think um everybody had this sense that you know something's not really going well and it's not sustainable of having the current system as you know I'm not trying to talk about like larger um, systems but you know just as a personal way of sustaining life it just didn't kind of fit the items that was the the world was offering as a template of success and I think um
0: I love that term template of success yeah. I, I i it's a really i will have to remember that one i hope it's okay if i borrow it
1: <laughs> you can hashtag me yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hashtag template of success
1: <laughs> yeah but i think it's really and i'm really interested to hear that as well because um also in japan we have this um you know like slow phase of um let's say realization per se mm-hmm. of people who wanted to live in the mountains or outside tokyo in general they knew that it wasn't the case that they can have a, you know, job until they are retired in a single yeah. company, which was very, you know, um, normal for Japanese companies and workers to go with. But now they really understand that, okay, I don't get to live in a situation, like in a really nice situation in Tokyo with this kind of salary, it's just not sustainable anymore. And the land price wasn't really colorating with the whole situation. Sure. But I think now everybody's realizing that there is an alternative to life and, and I'm really interested in that kind of way as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, um, I, I I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, it, it's it, living in the United States when, uh, when 9-11 happened, uh, it really changed the country, but it didn't change it in ways that I think anyone at the time expected it would change it in. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, the main thing that it did is it caused it caused a number of people to be fearful, which then meant that they were willing to give up civil, civil liberties to try to assuage that fear. Um, I think the pandemic is going to have like sort of long-term ripple effects that aren't necessarily what we expect. And I think that description is, is a great description of one that that I imagine. Um, you know, in the United States, the unemployment rate was, was, was very low, very low for the United States. Um, uh, leading into the pandemic. Now the unemployment rate has gone up a lot. I do wonder how it's going to change people's perspectives, as you were saying, about like jobs and, and what it means in cities. The reality is like the city that got hit the hardest, the fastest was New York, um, you know? And I think there's, it really starts to raise questions in people's minds of like, urban living sounds awesome yeah. until it, like you, you start talking about, you know, sort of like, like instability in jobs as you know as you mentioned until you start talking about like uh you know how quickly diseases couldn't travel all these kinds of things and so i think it's going to while there's been this massive shift over the last decades Mm -hmm. towards cities i wonder if the pandemic is going to start to to sort of turn that around the other thing that i think has been really really fascinating is at least in the united states um you know the in general a lot of people have lost their jobs. Mm. Um, I think uh, it's like there's, there's certain, I don't know if the cruise line industry will ever recover. It mm. might just be the end of cruises, mm. which wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world. Like, the, you know, environmentally, they're not great. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of challenges with them. Um, but the stock market has been doing great. And so it's really interesting to see how decoupled the stock market is from what you would call the economy right? The economy of sort of like, you know, people living their their everyday lives. It, it's really clear that this is just, these things are totally separate, where I think a lot of people before had seen the stock market as kind of an indicator of how the economy was going. Um, and so there's things like that, that I think are really interesting um, to, to sort of come out of this, um, you know.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in terms of, um, cars or certain companies. Um, it, it was more about the stability that they had, rather than yeah. the that they were offering, which I think yeah. was really different. So, whilst that expectation and s- sustainability or like stability is gone, then what would people start to expect through the stock market? Which is something I'm really interested in as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it's a uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we are going to be seeing sort of ramifications of this in ways we don't expect um but i think i I agree with your fundamental premise which is that like the the way the world was operating was out of balance i don't think anyone would disagree right um uh i'm I'm not saying that there are some people who are happy with that imbalance (laughs) like but it was certainly imbalanced um it's still imbalanced but i think now it just highlighted Mm-hmm. Um, I- exactly what that imbalance really means and then how it kind of like uh, expresses itself in, mm-hmm. in sort of a variety of different ways, um, you know. And so uh, I think, um, you know, they're, they're, I, the craft chocolate industry is, is certainly no exception.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think we were lucky in some ways um, as an industry because uh, we are producing food yeah. Um, now it's not necessary food, but nonetheless it's food. Um, and so for instance, in in San Francisco, we were we were allowed to continue to operate. If we were a bookstore, we would have had to be closed and there would, would have been nothing we can do but because we um, because we produce food, we were able to continue to operate. Um, and again, it's not required food, but nonetheless. Um, so I, I think we are lucky from that perspective, but also, it's something that can ship. It's not ice cream, you know, where it's like, like there's a variety of food products where you have a much harder time sort of with the, with the, you know, getting it to the consumer. Um, and so like, I think in some ways, to, to some degree, we were a little lucky from that perspective.
1: Do you think there's, um, let's say, a change in perception towards hmm. chocolate? For example, as, yes, I am a chocolate lover. Um, so, you know, when when the lockdown was not a lockdown, but like, you know, a, a soft lockdown was sure. uh, announced in Japan, the first thing I did was to buy a, a bunch of chocolates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I just. This mm, is
0: my chocolate behind me. I don't know. What you're gonna say. <laughs> you have a lot. I, I mean, I love chocolate. <laughs> yeah.
1: I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's like um, I kind of knew that I love chocolate and mm. some people do, but. I didn't know it would help me out that much for some reason yeah. um, so for me chocolate has become um, it, it was a delight but now yeah. it has become like a savior of my um, you know like d- daily balance or let's say totally. let's say do you yeah. have kind of um, responses from other people as well or you know what what is the position of chocolate in daily life these days well,
0: it's, it's interesting because like one of the things we often have cho- talked about is chocolate is like, as one might say, an affordable luxury. It's a luxury. You don't need it. It's not like you can live without it. But, it, you know, I mean, there are some luxuries, you know, like private jets that are not affordable luxuries. <laughs> but like, but even at a smaller scale, you know, um, uh, video game systems or, you know, like, um, uh, I, I, I always use the example of um, I often talk about cars like trans you know transportation is often a requirement but a car is not necessarily so it t- turns cars into to some degree a luxury um, uh, I mean you can certainly see it in terms of in terms of you know who owns cars at least in the United States um, but uh, but as opposed to a lot of luxuries, you know I mean, Nine dollars, ten dollars for <laughs> something that is uh, something that's going to last you days or weeks. I mean, or hours, depending. I guess, but but no, normally like days or weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, and is you can get something that's the best in the world for nine or ten dollars, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. And not to say that there aren't eighteen dollar bars and you know thirty dollar bars, etc. But but I think this means that. Like, I, I think, and again, like, every country is different. If there's one thing that doing a lot of sort of travel has taught me is that, like, trying to generalize from my experience growing up in the United States is foolhardy. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I'm, I'm I'm a white man that grew up in the United States. It's mm-hmm. like I, I have a different life experience than most people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I should never extrapolate based on that. Um, but I do think um, I do think one of the things that we've seen is that when, when times are challenging, it's kind of like what you just described. It's like when times are challenging, you, I mean, like there's just surviving and then there's just surviving with that, like little bit of something extra to sort of like give you a little sort of like relief or a little, um, or, or a little, uh, kind of break from that during mm-hmm. the day. And, you know, I think, it, uh, in developing countries, you see television everywhere. Television, not necessarily a requirement, but again, you're looking for, like, like you're still looking for something where it's kind of like, things are challenging, but if all you're ever doing is just trying to survive, and there's a lot of people in this situation, um, you know, having relief from that is, yeah. is 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 important. And I think one of the things that we have found from our customer base is, like, a lot more people are giving it as gifts because they're trying to sort of, like, make, friends or family or co-workers mm-hmm. sort of feel better and sort of like keeping a connection to them but also giving them this sort of like level of uh, you know um, I, it, yeah it's it's a little hard to explain um, but, um,
1: yeah, but that's I, <laughs> that's really related to what I'm doing right now with life plus actually so you just gave like a, you know, like a beautiful description of what we do actually. Can you tell me some of the examples, um, that you hear from your, you know, fellow B2B um, companies?
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, so certainly everyone's sort of online business has gone up much higher than they expected. Um, uh, I think that, um, that was something that online chocolate sales were not something that most craft chocolate makers had focused that heavily on. A lot of people had focused on wholesale and early on when wholesale um you know wholesale customers like retailers um from what i had heard it basically like there was kind of a price point that Mm -hmm. that was a that was the sort of like the breaking point that if you were below that price point people were buying it heavily in stores above that price point not so much Mm -hmm. and um the other thing that happened in the united states at least which was really interesting because um uh because you know grocery stores markets food food stores were sort of one of the only places people could shop. There was this mad run on food stores mm. um, and so those food stores basically said uh, the the distributors to those stores said, "Hey, you can only buy x number of things from us at a time because we're trying to keep up with with all of this demand all over, and when you say x numbers of things, something's got to drop and a lot of people felt like or found that one of the things they were dropping were sort of the higher end chocolate lines right. to go for the sort of lower end chocolate line this right. is one of the things that i think has always been really interesting is if you go direct to consumer mm-hmm. the consumer is making decisions about what they buy if you're going through a retailer mm-hmm. the retailer makes decisions about what they think the consumer will buy mm-hmm. so the retailer could be thinking i don't i like i'm gonna i'm, I'm only gonna buy sort of you know lower priced offerings because i think that's what our consumer is going to buy they might be right they might be wrong when you're direct consumer you like so there's always been this really interesting thing of like when you're going to retailers you're actually not selling to consumers you're selling to retailers your job is to convince the retailer that they want to carry you not necessarily convincing the consumer they want to buy your product So Mm -hmm. it's actually a very sort of different business. Um, So anyway, so that that dynamic has really sort of changed pretty substantially. As as I mentioned earlier, like we've been doing a lot of these sort of online experiences, but a lot of other people have too. they've been doing online tours Um, uh, really early on. Manoa out of Hawaii had started doing these um, Instagram TV videos um, Mm -hmm. where they talk about their whole process, um, Mm -hmm. which are just awesome and amazing. Um, and you know, I think they've been getting good pickup on those. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, the other thing is, it, it's interesting, even thinking of Manoa. like there's some people's businesses that were heavily predicated on tourism and some people's businesses that were more heavily predicated on of the local market. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing that I think is sort of shifting is, you know, tourism is not strong in most places right now. Um, and because of that, it means you have a renewed focus on your local market which isn't necessarily a bad thing you know um uh so like and for us you know um i know a lot of other people are doing this as well pickup and delivery mm-hmm. um which is something that we hadn't done before because it just didn't seem worthwhile but now you know it's it's certainly been something that, that's been interesting for um for a lot of our customers at least